Bibles open, um, and that Luke passage would be helpful. Um, you know, one of the dangers we face every week in breaking God's word down into short sections is that we forget the flow. Um, Luke wasn't writing blogs. Uh, Luke was writing one gospel. In fact, he was writing one big story, Luke and Acts. So we've got to remember as we look at the flow of God's word as Luke writes, what Jesus said and did and how the gospel then went out to the nation, we need to keep all that together. And of course, remember that the little section we're looking at today is part of a bigger section, the whole of scripture. And that's our danger. We break it down into small amounts and we pick the bits we like and ignore the bits we don't like. Notice what Luke has done. Luke is not uh, walking and talking with Jesus. Luke is uh, gathered the written accounts and cross-checked with the eyewitnesses. He's meticulous. He wants people to know the certainty of Jesus, who Jesus is. He wants Theopolis initially, and he wants the readers after Theopolis to know not only who Jesus is, but what Jesus came to do and how you and I should respond. We've covered an awful lot, haven't we? And we're only five chapters in. We've seen that the mission of Jesus is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. And the healings that Jesus done has done are powerful witnesses to those people there and to us as readers that Jesus is the right one to be proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He acts with the power and authority that God has given him. Last week, we saw how how Jesus is going to take the message, the good news of the kingdom, to a world that desperately needs to know that good news. But proclaiming the good news of the kingdom is not going to be a message that everyone likes to hear. Not always going to be well received. And you can see Theophilus ask the question, why is it that those people who knew the most about God weren't the ones that followed God, God's Messiah, when he turned up? We should expect the good news of the kingdom to upset those people who have built other kingdoms. We're going to pray and we're going to see in this passage that we run the very real risk of having our kingdom upset if we don't respond properly to the, or when we hear the message of the kingdom, when we hear Jesus' good news. Why don't I pray? Our Lord and our God, as we come to your word this morning, help me to be clear But, Lord, we pray that our hearts will be open. We pray, Lord God, that your word will speak clearly, that the work of your spirit in bringing it to bear in our lives will be real. Lord, we pray that the kingdoms that we have built will be turned upside down so that we hear the good news of the kingdom, of your kingdom. We ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. God's word open, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Jesus is confronted by a man who's full of leprosy. And what did he want? He wanted to be made clean. He knew that Jesus could cleanse him. That wasn't the issue, was it? The question was, are you willing to? And what we see in Jesus' response is that his heart 
is to, that is his heart, to offer people cleansing. That's actually what Jesus is on about. Now, it's interesting as we just start on this story in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, that some people will say Luke must have made this story up because, well, what's a man with leprosy doing in a town? Look at verse, verse 12. Jesus is in one of the towns and a man comes along to him full of leprosy. And, well, people know that lepers were not allowed anywhere near the populated areas. In fact, they weren't allowed near anyone. And if you read the Jewish law, they were allowed to be a certain distance if they were downwind, a shorter distance, and a bigger distance if they were upwind. They weren't allowed to go near people. They had to make sure that everyone knew that they were unclean. Now, the reason they had to do that is that God's people thought that leprosy was something that defiled their relationship with God. We read about that in Leviticus 14, didn't we? And people who were clean before God did not want to be made unclean before God. Now, so did this really happen? Well, let me tell you a couple of things. When Luke tells us that Jesus was in the town, he might not be referring to the exact town boundaries as per the council rules. He could just be meaning in the vicinity of the town. That could be true. Or it could be that this leper who knew who Jesus was and was so certain that Jesus was able to make him clean actually broke the rules and went into town and fell forward before Jesus because he knew it wasn't a doubt in who Jesus was it was the willingness of Jesus to cleanse him and what we see that when he comes to Jesus Jesus immediately and asks Jesus immediately reaches out and touches the man why would Jesus do that well as we're about to see that making the unclean clean again is central to what Jesus is on about. This wasn't the normal way that a leper would be engaged, by the way. Remember, they weren't allowed near clean people, and Jesus, as a clean person, would never touch a leper. At least if you're a Pharisee, they would never do it, because that would make them unclean. And they didn't want to be unclean. They wanted to be clean, that is, right before God. And contrary to expectations, people see that Jesus is here to make the unclean clean again. That's the good news of the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming to a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. Now, you and I probably don't think in terminology such as clean and unclean. It's not referring to how smelly you are. It's not saying, how much, when was your last shower? It's about how we stand before God. When we are clean before God, we are right before God. Our sin is no longer a barrier. When we are unclean before God, well, sin is a barrier. We are not right before God or unrighteous. This was a concept, clean and unclean, that resonated with God's people in the Old Testament. Leprosy as we read about in Leviticus 14, which has nothing to do with setting quarantine periods for COVID, just in case you wanted to mistranslate it. It has nothing to do with modern diseases. It has everything to do with being made, declared clean by the priest after you'd been healed. Because leprosy, a word for a whole range of skin diseases, was seen as a thing that you got because of sin. 
And therefore, if you had leprosy, you were a sinner that needed cleansing. And to prove that you'd been cleansed, the leprosy was gone, that your sin had been atoned for, you had to go to the priest to be checked over. And that was a process, wasn't it? That was a big, long process, complicated, maybe a bit removed from our understanding today. And notice that Jesus, after healing the man, sends the man off to obey God's word. Old covenant. Do you know why you don't need to do it now? Well, we'll get to the end of Luke and we'll see. Because Jesus fully atones for sin. But that's later story. Luke goes on to show us in more detail that making people clean and dealing with sin, as I've said already, is central to the good news of the kingdom. And he does that as he shares with us Jesus' encounter with a super-religious, highly moralistic, highly legalistic Pharisees. There was that group and a bloke who just wanted to walk again. And the account, you'll see, starts in verse 17 of, of Luke chapter 5. Jesus is teaching a large crowd... And notice the large crowd includes people from Galilee, the local region, Judea, the bigger region, and Jerusalem, the centre of God's stuff. And the idea is that Luke gives us very clearly is that there's a whole pile of some Pharisees, the people probably from Jerusalem included the Pharisees, sitting, not just sitting entertained, but sitting in judgment because that's what they did. These were the sort of people that whenever they met you, they were trying to work out where, they, where you stood as not whether you'd been saved by God, but how religious and moral you were, how clean you were. That was their role. They were judges of people, the moral policemen of the day. They wanted to make sure that no one broke God's law, so they made up their own laws that meant that you couldn't break God's law. That's how their religious police worked. And so they're sitting in judgment of Jesus. Luke tells us that as that was happening, Jesus was teaching. Notice Luke is not actually interested in telling us what Jesus was teaching because the purpose Luke is recording this story is to do with what Jesus is there for. And someone decides to make a hole in the roof. You imagine that someone did that here. It would be quite funny, wouldn't it? I'd be quite happy because that would mean that we would have to repair it. Maybe if they burnt the whole place down at the same time, that would be even better. No, no, that's not a suggestion, by the way. They make a hole in the roof. Now, as soon as they remove the tiles and dig through the dirt, no one is listening to Jesus, I can guarantee you. And right before Jesus, in fact, at his feet, a paralysed man is lowered. And you've got the people sitting in judgment and the huge crowd inside and outside listening to what Jesus is saying. Their attention has been completely captured by the man on the floor. And Jesus says to the man on the floor, my fr- or friend, sorry, your sins are forgiven. Now, it's worthwhile just pausing and asking, what is the connection between being paralysed and being a sinner? Why does Jesus jump from one to the other? This bloke just wanted to walk. How come Jesus offers him forgiveness? Well, here's a couple of possible connections because we're not actually told and it's very dangerous to speculate. The guy could have been a bank robber and he might have been shot running away and paralysed. 
And so there's a direct connection between his sin and his paralytic being paralysed. That's a pretty unlikely thing. I think they didn't invent guns yet. Or it could be just the fact that this man has one problem and Jesus sees that he has a bigger problem. And Jesus wants people to know that he's not just here to fix these problems, he's here to fix the bigger problem. That is people's relationship with God that is broken by sin. It would be terrible to be able to walk and not know Jesus and the offer of forgiveness that he offers. Sadly, many people of Jesus' day just thought that if you were sick, you were sinful. Jesus will actually correct that false thinking in another time, but here he immediately responds and offers the guy something better than being paralysed or being healed from from his paralysis. Remember, it's probably not really helpful to speculate on whether this bloke was a bank robber or not. It's really helpful to know that Jesus sees that he has a bigger problem. The religious leaders start thinking to themselves, it's made very clear, they're thinking to themselves that Jesus has just done something terribly wrong. He's claimed that he has the power and authority of God because they rightly knew that only God can forgive sin. They got that bit absolutely spot on and they thought Jesus had committed blasphemy claiming to have the power and authority of God because Jesus offers to forgive this man's sin. Who can forgive sin? They are right in this. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Now, we know that their hearts were hard and we know that there are conclusions about who Jesus was were terrible. And Jesus publicly exposes their private thoughts. It seems to be a bad idea to have private thoughts that are opposed to Jesus when Jesus is standing there. And he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? How would you answer that question? What what is easier? What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, if you're a fraud... If you're a con man, it's a lot easier to forgive sin, isn't it? I can offer to forgive your sin. I can say that I am God's son, I am the Messiah who has come to heal your sin, pay the debt of your sin, and offer to forgive your sin. And guess what? If I'm a fraud, you won't find out until Judgment Day. Because there's nothing changed. There's not a massive change that's just happened although there is a massive change as I'll just say in a moment but notice evidence to everyone else is nothing if I'm a fraud it is a lot easier to forgive your sin it's a lot harder for me to say to the paralyzed man on the floor in front of me get up and walk because you will know very quickly whether I'm fair income the game will be up won't it But theologically, is it easier to forgive sin or to heal a paralysed man? You see, theologically, only God can forgive sin. If I was to, I won't do it Fred, if I was to reach over and bash Fred on the nose, 
Danielle couldn't, my, who's my wife, for those people who don't know, Danielle couldn't forgive me. Well, she could, but it would be meaningless, wouldn't it? It's not her role to forgive me, because the offence is against Fred. When it comes to sin, the offence is against God. And only God can forgive the offence against God. In fact, as we get through the gospel, we will see how hard it is for sin to be forgiven. It requires the death of someone who's never sinned before, who stood in our place to pay the debt of our sin so that we can have our relationship with God restored forever. So you see, theologically, it's a lot harder to forgive sin, isn't it? I could have just been a good surgeon and fixed up the paralysis. I could have had great technology and a hospital system that worked. But no, only God can forgive sin. And Jesus then goes on and proves that he has the power and authority of God to heal the man and to forgive sin. And he does it before this huge crowd from all over Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. The man who was lowered to the floor gets up and walks out in full view of the rest of the crowd. A commotion that was made with a hole in the roof. Everyone sees that man walking out with his mat, let's say, under his arm. There is no denying what Jesus has done. And the great crowd see this from all over the place. And they're amazed and they go home praising God. What happened to the Pharisees? Well, I can assume, just on what we see in the next chap- next part of uh, Luke chapter 6, that they did not take too well to this. Their hearts are hard and their minds have been made up. And Jesus must go. That's for another, that's for another week. Luke brings us back to the mission of Jesus. The good news of the kingdom has everything to do with Jesus calling sinners even those really bad sinners, those ones that you want nothing to do with, Jesus wants to call sinners back to God. And Luke shows us that as he tells us about Levi and Jesus' call to ask Levi to become a disciple. Now, just so you know who Levi is, Levi is also Matthew. That's for another time. Luke 5, verse 25, Jesus says, follow me. And Levi does the same as we see, well, the other guys last week, wasn't it? Peter and James and John, or Simon, his name was there. He leaves his job and he goes to his house with a bunch of his mates and throws a banquet so that his mates might find out about Jesus. Now, Levi is a tax collector and they were even less like then than they are now. The tax collectors were people from the local Jewish community that were collecting money from the Jews to give to the Romans. They were not well liked in any shape, form or description. The worst of the worst, tax collectors and sinners, was a phrase that the Pharisees loved to use. And Levi was probably wealthy because he has a large house and entertains a large number of people in it. He was good at being sinful in their mind. 
Now, Luke doesn't tell us food. He doesn't tell us what was served. And he doesn't even tell us what Jesus said to the rest of the sinners that were gathered at that banquet. But we are told that the religious police found out about it. I presume they weren't eating with those tax collectors and sinners, but they found out about it and complained to Jesus' disciples. This time we're told that the Pharisees have the teachers of the law, that is their lawyers, marked with them. They are gathering evidence to put Jesus on trial and as we'll see next week, they are discussing with one another what they might do with Jesus. It would be good to get the dirt on Jesus so that we can hang him out to dry. They make a complaint to the disciples and Jesus responds. And what do we see in Jesus' response? Well, remember how Jesus exposed the heart of the tax collector of the Pharisees? He exposed their, their heart just a little earlier when they were thinking amongst themselves and Jesus exposes what they were thinking. Well, Jesus here exposes what his heart is and look what he says. His heart is, is for people to know the good news of the kingdom, for sinners to repent. That's what he came for. He wasn't there to help those people who thought they were right with God, the righteous. He was there to call sinners to repentance. Sinners like the tax collectors. Sinners like the prostitutes. Sinners like the, well actually, all of us actually. Every single one of us. You see, the Bible says that there is no one righteous, not even one. And so as we want to target a group and say, you're the worst sinners, God's word says, and you are along with them as well. These religious police that wanted to target the tax collectors as the worst people for Jesus to hang out, but, well, if you hung out with us, you'd be better before God. Well, they were just as much sinners as the guys that they didn't like. You know that song we sung, Forgiven? Lord, forgive us for our pride and all those things that we don't normally get out there and show as this is the sin that the world deals with. Just like us. And here the good news is this. Jesus came to call sinners today. Just like us. Now, there's lots of challenges from this passage, but there's also one of those challenges that is there is a huge danger you and I could end up being more like the Pharisees than Jesus. But let's look at that in a moment. Let's raise the good stuff. There's some challenges and there's some great encouragement. As we work through Luke's Gospel... How are you growing in your understanding of who Jesus is and what it means for us to take the mission of Jesus to the next generation or to our generation? You see, we see Jesus' power and authority on display, don't we? It is very obvious. And we see that Jesus does things that only God can do, including... The central thing that he's on about, forgiveness, cleansing to the sinner. 
And that's why I said, I said last week, I'll say it again this week, the message of Jesus is really good news. Because Jesus came to deal with my sin and your sin and he demonstrated that he has the power and authority to do it. That's why it's a message that I keep repeating. It's a message that's central to what we display at Christmas and Easter. It's a message that should be central to what you and I speak about. We want to be known as people who speak about Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And as we speak about who Jesus is and what he's done, we will be talking about the problem of sin. And there's our problem, isn't it? Because our culture doesn't like the idea that they are sinners. Some of the harshest criticism I've had in ministry from non-Christians is when I talk about the fact that they are sinners who need forgiveness. Good Aussie people don't think they are sinners. This last week, the mayor of Lismore, as he rightly lamented the brokenness that has happened up there, looks up to Sky and says, he doesn't understand, we're all good people. Because that's how we think about ourselves as Australians. We think we're all good people. Now, I'm not drawing any connection between the floods in Lismore and specific sins of people in Lismore. But you see the connection that people have, the feeling that people have, that we are all good, that we don't deserve anything bad. And when we live in a culture like that, what we can do as we're talking about the need for people to be forgiven is to go light on forgiveness or sin that needs to be forgiven. And it is a danger for us. We'll talk about the gospel and talk about the love of God and our hope for eternity, which are all good things, by the way, are good things to talk about. But how often do we actually talk about the need for forgiveness and the judgment of God that flows if our sin is not forgiven. Let's take a step back. You're a Christian? Do you understand that you're a Christian who needed forgiveness? You're someone who needed forgiveness. So that, that is central to your problem before God. Do you see yourself as a sinner, past, present and future sinner? Do you think that you've nailed sin, that you're living godly, perfectly, no longer needing God's grace? Now, I think if you prayed the prayer that we prayed earlier on in the service, that none of us think that way. But how do we communicate ourselves to a world? Do we come across in our world as people who are, well, we've got godliness worked out and the bad sins are those ones that we're not doing How do you communicate your sinfulness, your struggle with sin as you share the gospel? Together, as people who have been forgiven, we regularly need God's grace lavished upon us. Sadly, what we do as Christians is communicate that we are good and it's the people out there who are not? Sorry, not over in that side of church. The people outside church. Yeah, the, we are... <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> That's the danger, isn't it? 
Now, if you are struggling with the concept of the fact that you're a sinner who needs to be forgiven and you thought this Jesus stuff was just about being nice, moral and living a nice life, then please speak to me and find out the true good news of the kingdom. But let's move on because a bigger challenge here. I think the challenge that we face, because I think you're all nice people mostly, you and I face the danger of being Pharisees because the Pharisees knew the law. They knew about taking God seriously. They were nice, moral citizens. I don't know how big your police record is, but Pharisees didn't have much of a police record. They obeyed the law of God meticulously. And we don't. We might give the impression to others that we do, but we've acknowledged already in our service, if we prayed those prayers with any meaning, that we need God's grace. But if you and I communicate to others that we have God worked out, that we have godliness in a bag, we are being just like the Pharisees. Or it is a danger that we are. Let me ask some questions of ourselves. When we share the gospel, do we share the gospel in terms of godliness and morality? Or do we share it in terms of grace and forgiveness? You see, we, we again we live in a country and in a culture where the non-Christian world, the predominant the message they hear from Christians is not grace and forgiveness, it's morality. That's our struggle. We can be just like the Pharisees. Here's my second question as we look at this danger that we face. When you speak to people about Jesus... Do you present the idea that you, like them and equal to them, are ongoing in your need for God's grace? Or do you present that some sins are worse than others? We would be really happy for a materialistic, hedonistic Christian to join us, but we wouldn't be happy for a tax collector or a prostitute or someone like that to join us. Do we communicate that? How do you make sure that you and me, how do I make sure that I don't, communicate that some sins are worse than others? We are all sinners. And my third question as we seek to unpack this is, how do you communicate that to others? And how do you act towards others? Well, the people you would avoid because they are worse sinners than others because there shouldn't be, and Jesus didn't. There are some challenges here, isn't there? That we don't turn godliness into Phariseeism. Phariseeism. Here's the final thing, just very briefly. I said I'd come back to it, but I want to address it later on as well. Uh, What is the link between being sick and being sinful? There could be a link, in your case, or in the paralysed man's case, but there's not an automatic link between being sick and being a sinner. 
Not every sickness, in fact, most sicknesses that you and I face is not a result of a direct sin. It's just because we live in a broken, fallen world. How about I pray? And I'm sure there's some questions that you might like to ask later on over tea and coffee. Our Lord and our God, uh, we thank you. We thank you that your heart, the heart of Jesus, is to forgive. You came to call people to repentance. You are the one who can cleanse us from our deepest problem before you, our sin. May we celebrate that good news. May we speak of that good news. Lord, help us not to fall into the danger of being Pharisees that just pick on a sin that we're not doing and don't associate with those terrible people who do that sin. And yet we are also unrighteous before you who equally need your grace. Lord, it's an easy danger for us to fall into. Open our eyes up to that reality and give us the courage to turn away from it. We ask these things, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.